0: You're listening to episode 162 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, we're excited to have Dr. J. Mark Beach back once again, professor of systematic theology, to dive into divine impassibility, a doctrine that has been a point of contention within Christianity for some time now, with some arguing that it undermines the compassion of God, while others see it as a necessary aspect of God's being. We'll see what Dr. Beach thinks. Check it out.
1: Well, in part two of this talk about divine immutability and divine impassibility, we come now to impassibility. This one's uh, perhaps a little more difficult to talk about. certainly doesn't have the pedigree, if I may put it that way, in, in Christian theology that the doctrine of immutability does. But you find within the Reform tradition, at least, an affirmation of God's impassibility, and people tend to bristle at this topic even more than they do over God's being immutable or unchangeable. Uh, what is it to affirm that God is impassable? Well, one example where we find the idea expressed is in the Westminster Confession of Faith where it talks about god as one who is without passions and then people go what Uh, god is a a loving god our god is a kindly god our god is a a god of, of of benevolence and he's good to us and he's also a god who shows his anger and his wrath and so he's, he's altogether a God with passions. He's altogether a God with emotions and the like. Uh, among some modern uh, evangelical theologians, you find someone like Wayne Grudem as a modern uh, writer who says this, this attribute of impassibility. If true, he writes, Would mean that God does not have passions or emotions but is impassible, not subject to passions. And he finds this uh, quite distasteful. Or Alistair McGrath likewise uh, takes on this topic. And he observes that the new orthodoxy among evangelicals and certainly theologians of the 20th century is to affirm a doctrine of a suffering God. Uh, Jürgen Moltmann, uh, in his famed work, The Crucified God, played a significant role in this shift because he argued that an inability to suffer spells a deficiency in God. We want a a passionate God. We want a God who's passable, not impassable. We want a God who, in fact, decides to suffer, is willing to suffer. And so McGrath, uh, talking about Moltmann's work, says a God who, more quoting from Moltmann, a God who cannot suffer is poorer than any human, for a God who's incapable of suffering is a being who cannot be involved. And so suffering and justice would uh, no longer affect him And because he's so completely insensitive, he can't be affected or shaken by anything, he can't weep, he has no tears, and uh, one who can't suffer then can't love. He'd be a loveless God, a loveless being and the like. Well, clearly the Bible teaches that God loves, and so this doctrine of impassibility seems dead on arrival. But we need to slow down here a bit. Before we get emotional about the topic of God's emotions or whether he has emotions or how he has emotions and whether he's impassable, do you really want an emotionalistic God? A God who's wound up, excitable, who's suddenly angry, suddenly searing, suddenly yippee hurrah? Do you want a fickle God? Do you want a God who gets wounded Uh, easily and can be manipulated. Uh, I have a colleague who can sometimes uh, inform me of disturbing occurrences in the church or trends or something, and he easily gets me as a human being wound up. Where I was having a great day, he suddenly has me agitated and upset and, uh, yes, wound up, and I'm ready to unleash. I'm ready to uh, unwind and express myself, maybe with anger or some sort of passion and overexcitement. Well, I don't think we want God to be an overexcited God, a fickle God, fly-off-the-handle God, never know how he's going to come home, God, like some drunken father, what's going to be his mood. So before we get all in on passion uh, slow down. What is God like? Well, we know from Scripture that God never lacks love or mercy. We know there's uh, passages that express that his wrath is kindled, that there's things he has no pleasure in or hates, and that God delights in things. This is all fair uh, biblical teaching, and we need to keep it. So, what is the affirmation of passibility about? Well, to get at it more, more directly, it's important to see that the root to the word in passibility is the word passion. Passio from Latin. And that's a word that takes us to suffering. You think of the passion of Christ. Well, what's his passion? His emotions? Well, no, it's, it's mostly expressive of his suffering.
0: But then what
1: is it to suffer? Well, to suffer is to be acted upon from without. Think about when someone makes you angry. They said something. They did something. They maybe physically assaulted you, and now you being acted upon— in other words, you were passive, and they were active, acting upon you. Now you're reactive. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. Maybe you've been insulted. Maybe you've been lied about. Uh, maybe something has happened. Someone has died. That's happened out, from outside of you, but now it acts upon you. The, the information hurts. It wounds you. And now you, you express the emotion of that hurt. So where is all this going? Well, the key idea is passivity. So to deny that God is a God of passion, that and to affirm his impassibility, is to affirm he cannot be passive. Here's why. There's nothing out there that exists that God didn't put there. There's nothing out there that exists, even human agents, that God didn't dispose and create, and create the way he wanted them and ordained them to be. There's nothing out there that God doesn't give existence to and continual existence to and uphold in its existence. And he even enables it to act according to his divine concurrence, his providential Uh, work of governance and direction and concurrence. In other words, creaturely things aren't like many sovereigns, many little gods who now act upon God, and God is passive, God didn't see that coming, God didn't know, and now God's reactive. Well, that's human beings, but that's not God. So a denial, or rather to affirm that God is impassable, is to affirm that God is is not passive. I don't think we want a passive God. A passive God doesn't know what's happening. A passive God doesn't know that was coming. A passive God was not in control. A passive God couldn't help it, couldn't change it, couldn't prevent it. It happens to you. When I was a little boy, I remember seeing some kids throwing rocks at each other. And uh, the rocks were missing their heads by inches. And finally, a rock did not miss the head. It hit this child right between the eyes. Suddenly, there was a shriek. The kid was quite passionate. (laughs) That rock had acted from without himself, until it struck his head. The the rock was the active instrument. The arm that threw it was the active instrument. The head that received the blow was passive, <laughs> okay? And now that child in his head were suffering. They received the harsh blow of this rock. His skin was split open. Blood was spurting about. And we followed his drops of blood as he cried all the way home, wee, 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 (laughs) all the way home. He bawled to his mother, and she promptly took him to the doctor for various stitches. We were fascinated by the blood trail. But it well illustrates the rock, the head, the active thing, the passive thing. Now, our God, when we say he's impassable, we're saying he's never the passive head, There's nothing out there that can act upon God such that, surprise, it got me, this rock hit me in the head. Surprise, this human has done this thing. Surprise, this nation has risen and is up to no good. Surprise, the devil's doing these schemes and works against my redemptive kingdom and cause. I didn't see it coming, because I'm a passive God. Mm -hmm. I'm not the only active subject of the whole created order no our god is the sovereign god of all things so what's affirmed most directly about god without passions that he's impassible is he's not passive we are passive and that's why we cry and that's why we say ouch and that's why we see disease afflict us and death take us we are passable and that's why we can only react with too much excitement or too many tears or not enough tears. Uh, that's why we can fly down a roller coaster as gravity overtakes our body and yippee, hooray, and we express our passivity, our lack of, 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 the ability to control all this and be subject to gravity this way, and now outbursts the emotions. Well, we don't want a God who's subject to all the evil forces out there, and now he's reacting. He's the suffering one who didn't see it coming. So, given that, let's take a next step. What about the incarnation, and what about Christ? And what about his passion? And what about his suffering? Doesn't that show that God does too suffer? Isn't that Maltmann's point? The suffering Christ, the God who subjects himself to this. Oh, yes, but uh, did you hear the word? The God who subjects himself. The God who's still subject. The God who's still actor. Jesus himself, you can't take my life. I lay it down. He's not the passive one. He actively does something. He's still the actor. He's still in control. He's still the sovereign one, even giving his human flesh to this kind of uh, torture and crucifixion. Yes, the actor who allows himself to be acted upon by human agents, say, to crucify him and jeer at him and deny him and the like. But God's still not passive. He's still the active one. And thus, this helps us understand all of God's emotions in the Scripture. As the impassable one, yes, he's loving. Yes, he can express anger. Yes, he's a God who expresses forbearance tenderness, kindly. He can gather uh, his children like a chicken or a hen. gathers the chicks under her wings. Yes, Jesus is one who weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. In his uh, humanity, he certainly can be acted upon, but in his hypostatic union, he's sovereign God as the actor, In all these things, and in that sense, not passive and thus impassable. Um, So many who object to the doctrine of God's impassibility really fail to get at the root of the word, and what they then are affirming, maybe unknowingly, unknowingly, unbeknownst to them, what they're affirming is that the creation hangs out there independent of God, does things to God that God doesn't have control of, and so he's a passive God. Well, mm, I don't find it very helpful to pray to a passive God who's not the actor. As we enter into a new year, it's very important for us to see who's the sovereign one, who's the actor, who's the one divine subject, who's decreed all, wills all, and will bring his kingdom come to its fullness and victory through his his precious son, Christ the Lord, our Savior. Very important that we contemplate that this God without passions is not passive, but active. He knows 2022, he knows and has already ordained for from eternity, 2023, this God is active. This God will bring his kingdom march that much closer to the last day. This is a God in which we can ring in this, this new year and every new year he's pleased to give us in the knowledge that the sovereign subject, the actor, the ever active God, Will act toward his creation to show forth all the panoply of his perfections, of his attributes unto this created order. And thus, to sinners, he can express wrath. To repentant sinners, he shows mercy and kindness. To unlovable sinners and unrepenting sinners, he can declare love and call them to himself. To a world, where he sees abuse and injustice and viciousness and vice. It's all in the books, and his anger indeed is kindled. But none of these things have come to him passively, but according to his good, righteous plan and good pleasure, eternally willed in Jesus Christ. None of these things make God, uh, one, acted upon. I couldn't I didn't know better. I didn't see better. I couldn't help it. This helpless God, a passive God you can't pray to. What is he supposed to do about it? He's not the sovereign one in control. He's not the one upholding all creatures in his hand. He's not the one who can guarantee victory. Not a passive God, but only a God without passivity. Only a God who's active, all together, active unto this last day so god in in his impassibility is the actor then not passive which means that he can love which means that he can judge in righteousness which which means He's not static or lifeless or inert or unmoving or unloving or aloof. Just the opposite. He's the actor. He's not passive. He's altogether active. So he's the one who moves, who has life, who gives life, who directs, who sees things through, who intimately comes to the rescue who's involved, who's fervent and passionate and infinite in goodness and love and kindness and mercy. So again, Christmas and now New Year's, what's new about the New Year's? Well, we don't know, but God does because he's not passive. What will happen to us very individually maybe some deep sorrows, maybe some, maybe some great joys, maybe some setbacks, maybe some tremendous advances. We all hope for tremendous ava- advances. God knows because he's not passive. He's the, in, he's the God of impassibility. He can't be passive. He's active. And he's not reactive because it's according to his good plan and purpose. Now that's how you face a new year with this kind of God the sovereign God, the biblical God, the God without such passions, not a shrill God, not a what now God, oh my, oh my, not that God, not a God of I didn't see that coming and it really upsets me, not that God, the God who's active altogether so. And we'll see his good purpose come to fruition in his church, victorious and his people Gathered into the fold according to his eternal promises. Now there's a God that we can welcome the new year in with because he's ever with us, with us in Christ our Lord.
0: Well, next month, as is our tradition here at the seminary in January, we'll forego new podcast episodes. So make sure you take some time to catch up if you haven't done so already and revisit some golden oldies for your listening pleasure. Why not start at episode one? For more podcast episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. We'll see you in the next year of 2023. Have a happy new year.